Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, Eight Words or Less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy and I'm one of your hosts. I'm James. I'm your other host. And today is a bonus episode in in every sense of the word, as we are incredibly fortunate to be joined by John Flint, who is here to talk with us about Simon C. Infinite Game. John, it is such a privilege to be able to uh, speak to you today. And I'm really excited to hear about your insights and, and takeaways from this book. I think for the very few listeners who, who may not know, John, obviously you successfully grew your career from when you joined as a trainee, I think it was in 1989, all the way to chief executive of one of the world's largest banks. And through that time, you helped the organization navigate some of the biggest challenges it's faced across its 150-year history while maintaining a focus on people and colleagues that made you a role model and an inspiration for so many. Something that's easy to see from the the thousands of comments posted on your recent LinkedIn article. And you achieved all of this while supporting the family and and even becoming an Ironman athlete, which I'm telling you after four months of uh, lockdown feels uh, even more of an achievement from where I'm sitting. So thank you so much, John, for for being with us today. I know how how valuable your time is and, and we're very grateful to get this chance. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's a privilege to be part of this, and I'm I'm looking forward to discussing. I'll discuss any book with anybody anytime, but uh, this one in particular, I'm looking forward to. Perfect. Well, this is sort of slightly as uh, aside. This podcast, part of its um, inspiration came, a large part of its inspiration came from the summer reading list that you used to share and that I used to devour when, whenever I could. So, I mean, as a voracious leader, John and someone who has obviously read hundreds, if not thousands. What was it about this book that made you want to recommend it? What, what was it that particularly resonated for you? I think this is a book that's appropriate for this time. You know, the economic dislocations created by this COVID crisis are forcing leaders at all levels to make quick decisions, decisions uh, with incomplete information, decisions that have been accelerated and compressed into a shorter time frame. And I think this book and some of the messages within it, I think, are helpful for leaders now. They can be helpful either as a challenge, to challenge the way that they're currently framing their decision making. And for some leaders, there'll be a comfort. There'll be a comfort to know that, yes, there is a perspective here. There is a a really articulate and credible argument for building your decision making framework about around something beyond the very immediate um, and near term. So... I think it's a book that really unpicks the complexities of stakeholder management, but provides a positive framework for that. And at this time, the the conversation around these issues, I think, uh, has never been more important. Absolutely. I'm just reading the back cover of the book now, John. It says, we can't choose the game. We can't choose the rules. We can only choose how we play. And it seems like these challenging times, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to have a conversation around what mindset we choose to adopt in business. Because the book says many leaders have a finite mindset. And I guess that's not surprising given the importance that was ascribed to Milton Friedman's assertion that, quote, there is only one social responsibility of business, and that's to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits. And Simon goes on to argue that it's led to a culture of organizations that prioritize shareholders above anything else. 
and that's resulted in inequality, undervaluing the role of labour, the failure to deal with challenges like climate change. And John, we'd just love to tap into what are your perspectives around this shift from a share to a stakeholder mentality? Yeah, I think Friedman's assertion is slightly incomplete. Of course, you have to focus on delivering a return for the people who are providing the capital that sits underneath your business. Of course, you've got to execute your fiduciary responsibilities. But looking after the shareholder's interest is necessary, but over the long term, it's never sufficient. You've got to have a keen eye on the other stakeholders, be it customers, be it your workforce, be it the broader society that you're operating within. And I think this Friedman's assertion um, highlights again the challenge around the timeframes that you're making decisions within. Over the short term, you can pick any of the stakeholders and dial up your intensity on the shareholder or the customer or your workforce. And you can get away with it over the short term. But over the long term, if you want to build something that's resilient, that's serving people for generations, in my experience, the best leaders have got their hands on all of the dials at the same time, and they're fine-tuning all of them at the same time. They care deeply about their fiduciary responsibilities for shareholders, but at the same time, they are deeply involved in the experience of their staff and the development of their staff and creating an environment where their staff can fulfill their potential and and be themselves at work. And they'll be obsessive about customer experience. And I think if you you look across the businesses that have been successful over a long period of time, one of the things they've done well and one of the things that our leaders have done well is they've never ignored any particular constituent. They've always had an interest in all three or four or whatever, however many constituents you want it to be. Now, in the short term, it's inevitable that leaders have to prioritise. There'll be moments when you really will focus on, and it's happening now, you will focus on the shareholder dimension um, and you will be aggressively managing your cost base. Of course. But all good leaders know you can't do that indefinitely. And there's a point at which, you know, your customer experience will suffer, your staff will be fatigued. So good leaders have got their hands on all of the dials at the same time and they're fine-tuning. I think those that get stuck in any single dimension, beyond the short term, they struggle. Do you think that what we're going through at the moment, do you think that will encourage leaders towards more of that long-term thinking? Or will there be a knee-jerk reaction to short-term actions to purely satisfy one of those stakeholder groups, as you say? I think in the main, the the short-term reaction is what we're seeing. The short-term reaction is predictable. But what I would hope is that there are good constructive conversations with the providers of capital, with shareholders, about what this world will look like in the medium to long term. That's a real challenge for leaders. You know, it's much easier to have a, a view and a conviction about the next six or 12 months than it is the next five to 10 years. I mean, my goodness, you think about how much the world has changed and what you know, what external shocks have buffeted the global economy in the last five to 10 years. It's very difficult to predict. But right now, I would like to think all leaders have got both both time frames in mind, making short-term decisions that in the context of the, the, the current economic outlook make perfect sense. The stewards of, of long-term businesses really need to be thinking about five, 10, 20 years and to be building for that. And I think, in my experience, investors are very open to that conversation. More so, and you think more so now and uh, than they were ten years ago. Um, it's interesting when I, as I progressed through my organisation and, and spent over the last ten years more and more time with 
with investors. I came to learn that actually there's mythology around the short-termism issue. There's a, an accepted wisdom now that investors just focus on quarterly results and they just want the next set of numbers. And that doesn't chime with my experience. If you're the chief executive of a firm and you can sit down with investors, you have the luxury of time, you have the luxury of a, a conversation and you can set your stall out and you can debate. And in my experience, the good investors all were really interested in what you were planning to do over the medium to long term, how you were navigating significant pools of capital. The short-term pressure, I think, comes from other constituents. It comes from the media. It comes from yourself. Yeah. It's yourself. You know, you, you feel the pressure. You're presenting a bad set of numbers. You feel it personally. It's not comfortable. And then the media will amplify it and replay it back to you, and, it, and you feel the pressure. But I think it's really important for everybody to understand that when it comes to the real conversations with the owners of the business, I don't think that short-term pressure is anything like the mythology that exists around it. The short-term pressure is real, but it comes from a, it comes from sources that are actually not that relevant. You've got to have the courage to sit through it. So the media gives you a bad day for a poor set of quarterly results. So what? I mean, it's interesting you use the word courage because from the book, it was one of the elements that I thought was so interesting was that when Simon talked a lot about that vital ingredient of the courage to lead, you talk about the pressures that you feel yourself. And sometimes it's easier to make those short-term decisions. They, they might produce more instantaneous results and, and you, you get less of that pressure either from yourself or from media or from, from other stakeholders. And what I, I was interested, John, particularly because I, I felt that when the author was talking about this, he was talking very much at the top level of organizations and how you could get courage there. But of course, you have leaders all the way through an organization and they may want to be taking that longer term decisions with their teams and more of an infinite minded mindset you know, in the context of this book. But they might be surrounded by an, an ecosystem that rewards more you know, short term actions you know, to, to get those year end performance reviews in a certain way and therefore it almost takes more courage earlier in your career to run against the grain of what might be around you. What advice would you give for, for maybe some of our listeners who, who are earlier in that leadership journey and you know, want to be uh, looking at this in the long term as you recommend but uh, find those pressures against doing so? Sure I think that's a really important question and my answer I need to caveat my answer a little in the sense that I've only ever worked for one company and I was fortunate to join a company I think with a very healthy culture and a, and a, a good sense for the long-term interests of the company and all of the stakeholders. So throughout my career a lot of my own personal career-defining moments came as a result, the positive ones at least, came as a result of pursuing a long-term agenda, pursuing and being brave around the short, short-term versus long-term trade-offs. Now, I was very fortunate in that I was doing that. I was executing some of that courage into an organization that was receptive to it. And for leaders who, who are willing to listen and willing to, to take my perspective on board, I understand there are other organizations where the culture isn't as supportive. And, it, and so it's really tough for me to give advice. What I would always come back to, though, is if you want to progress as a leader, the most important human being in that journey is yourself it's not anybody else it's not your boss it's not the board it's not your colleagues or your secretary or even your spouse or partner it's yourself and you have to be true to yourself all the way through this if you're not if you lose the courage of your own convictions then 
I don't think there's any hope that you will ever curate a true and genuine followership as a leader. So you've got to be yourself. I got fortunate. I joined an organization that was aligned with my values and was, would listen to me. If you are in an organization that isn't right for you, you might have to have the courage to, to find somewhere else. But the most important piece of advice is you've got to be true to yourself. If your instincts, your convictions, your beliefs, your value system tell you that you need to challenge, you need to speak up, you must. I love that. And there was a part of the book, John, that really resonated with me. And it was an example of Shell's USRA oil rig, which a gentleman called Rick Fox led. So Rick was passionate about safety, but he was open to a different way of achieving that goal. And then through focused development work, which looked and felt quite different from what the organization had seen before, he got the team to connect on a deeper level. And of course, as we know, underneath our hard exteriors, we're all human beings. We all have vulnerabilities, insecurities, fears, and hopes. And it turned out that the more psychologically safer the people felt, the more they spoke up, and it eventually led to an 84% decline in safety incidents. So I think it's interesting how Simon talks about how being vulnerable and creating a culture where people can be more of themselves in the workplace has such an impact on how people show up, but also their bottom line. And what's your perspective, John, on the role of vulnerability and how to build that, if you like, trust-based vulnerability in companies? I think it's important, but I wouldn't start with vulnerability. I'd start a level above and just say that, in, in my experience, people respond best to leaders who are human. And you know, for a long period in, in recent corporate history, if you like, the leaders of firms did everything they possibly could to, be, to pretend to be something that wasn't human. They pretended to be strong men. They pretended to have all of the answers. They pretended to be impervious to the pressures that most human beings face. And you know, that, that's come and gone, I think, as a, as a leadership style that resonates. My experience today, um, and, and this is in the context of a world where, with social media and an abundance, an overwhelming abundance of information around people that allows people to, to make their decisions about the veracity and integrity of people that they might choose to follow. I think it, it, it's incredibly important that any leader now is just human. It's, it's a departure for some. People haven't written too many books about this yet, and not many leaders want to position themselves in this way. But you think about the graduates that have joined the workforce in the last five to 10 years. One of the things that fascinates me is they can smell BS a mile off. Right? Yes. They, they, they know corporate spin quicker than anybody else. And they, they bin it. They don't respond to it. They don't engage with it. And I think that the key thing for leaders and the key message that comes out of Simon's book one of the key messages is if you want to create the right environment for people to be successful, for people to fulfill their own potential, if you lead as a human, and that will involve showing vulnerability, you will get the best results. And at the end of the day, leadership is about making decisions. When you make decisions, if you're a good leader, you'll get most of them right. You'll get some of them horribly wrong. And when you get them wrong, you've got to front up and deal with it. And to pretend that you're never going to get them wrong, or even if you do get them wrong, you'll never admit it. I mean, this is a dictator kind of school of management. It's got no place in the modern world. It doesn't work. People do not, people do not respond to it. So vulnerability, I think, is key, but it, it just sits neatly under this heading of being human. And once you allow people to see that, um, I think you have the potential to create a proper followership. John, a slightly 
almost a bit of a segue, but when we were reaching out to ask for your recommendation, you recommended two books. You recommended Simon's The Infinite Game, but you also recommended a beautiful book by a British artist called Charles Mackesy. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his surname, actually, but it's called A Boy, a Mole, a Fox and a Horse, which is this lovely illustrated short story based on these four characters, the friendship they share and the lessons they learn. And um, they asked questions throughout the book, and, and three of these really sort of resonated with me. And these questions were, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. What do you think success is? Asked the boy. To love, said the mole. What's your best discovery? Asked the mole. That I'm enough as I am, said the boy. I think these are beautifully crafted sentiments. And it's a slightly, you know, almost a slightly strange thing to bring us into this podcast about management and leadership books. But if we were to take that lens, the context of the corporate world, career development, leadership, I'm just interested to know how would you answer these questions? So perhaps what is the bravest thing you have ever said or heard said as a, as a business leader? What, what do you think success actually is in terms of career development? Or what has been your best discovery within that corporate world? <laughs> yeah no thank you and yeah it, it, this is a wonderful book if anyone listening hasn't discovered the book yet i thoroughly encourage you to if i had a magic wand and i could gift this book to everybody i would and i think the actually the answers to the questions in the book at a human level are, are already perfect and i wouldn't want to, to supplement them but as you suggest james let me try let me try an answer from a, a career or business and leadership perspective um what's the bravest thing i've ever done i think Every time you speak truth to power, when you have something to lose, that's brave. And I think as you, as you construct or navigate a career, there will be moments when you have to do that. It's all about being true to yourself. Don't lose the courage or find the courage to make sure that you do that. Every time you speak truth to power, when you have something to lose, you're being brave. I think good careers and good leaders in particular find the courage to do that on a regular basis or as, as it's needed. In terms of success, I think success as a leader is about curating a genuine followership. Getting to a point where people would choose to follow you for positive reasons, not because they feel afraid of what would happen to them if they didn't follow you or because simply because they need the paycheck, which is the case for a lot of people. But success as a leader is curating a genuine followership where people would actively choose to follow you. And the reasons for choosing to follow you are long and varied. It could be your intellect. It could be your personality. It could be your vision for the future. It could be the way you treat people. It could be the way you've navigated a particular crisis. It doesn't matter. But good leaders will curate a genuine followership. And I think from that comes true leadership. And the last one, the best discovery, well, it's a, a discovery for me as a leader, but something that I think human beings discovered thousands and thousands of years ago. And that discovery is that if you really want to engage people, stories are still the best way to engage people. You know, and I, I closed a 30-year career with one organization um, recently, and I've had lots of wonderful reflections from people um, about the impact I had and uh, or didn't have both actually wonderful reflections and you know over my career I will have presented a, a million PowerPoint slides to people and I can assure you that not a single one of them was remembered <laughs> but I told stories along the way I told certainly in the last decade or so I told a lot of stories about 
my personal life, my high points, low points, successes, failures, vulnerabilities, etc. And those stories are remembered and people are still talking about them. It's a rediscovery that stories are the best way to engage with people. Facts and figures, great, they go to the head. Stories go to the heart. And I think that's really the way to, uh, to engage with people. That's amazing, John. Thank you. So truth to power, build a fellowship and the power of stories. Um, really, I mean, really, uh, yeah, amazing. Thank you. And I go around the world teaching leaders the art and science of storytelling. And I start with, who's the best storyteller you know? And John, more often than not, it's your name that comes up. So that's part of your legacy. Oh. Uh, well, James, when he was doing the original episode for The Infinite Game with me, he came up with a central message. Leadership for today requires an infinite mindset. John, if you had to summarise this book in eight words or less, what would that be? In the long term, all stakeholders matter. Wow. In the long term, all stakeholders matter. Well, I couldn't agree more. And thank you so much, John. Thank you, James, of course, the author, and all of our listeners. Use the hashtag eight words or less to share your thoughts, experiences, insights, and click subscribe where you'll be able to download our previous episodes and make sure that you don't miss a new one. Bye for now. 